From crypto winter to crypto geopolitics, from ChatGPT to AI avatars, from zero-proof identity to CBDCs and new forms of GovTech. Join inventors, artists, musicians, gamers, bankers, policymakers, and rebels for a discussion on how technology is reshaping our world. From our offices in Dubai, this is the UAE Tech Podcast. These algorithms uh, that allows cost saving, and by having this type of cost savings, we lower the threshold at which we can welcome customers into benefiting for this micro personalization, what's generally the private making called discretionary managed portfolios. Now, today, in most of the private banks, to have a DMP, a discretionary managed portfolio, it starts at couple of million dollars wow. with this technology you can start doing it starting from a couple of thousand dollars Mehdi Fishtali is CEO and founder of Finamaze an ADGM licensed digital wealth management company he spent 15 years at large banks such as Credit Agricole Barclays and as VP of Morgan Stanley in Dubai today he's figuring out how AI can lower barriers to entry reduce bureaucratic cost and ensure the likes of you and I can one day have our own asset portfolio, even if we're not making squillions of pounds. 50 years ago, not all banks were using Microsoft Excel. One day, Mehdi implies that AI will be as ubiquitous as the spreadsheet is today. A significant enhancement, if not perhaps a revolution. Today, we're delighted to be talking to Mehdi Fishthali on asset management, AI in banking, and the ecosystem in the wider GCC. Mehdi is the founder and CEO of Finamaze. Mehdi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, John. I'm very pleased. So I wanted to jump right in because you have a very interesting theory on something you call the five Ps of AI in banking or asset management. And I wondered if you could very quickly, before we, we jump into some background on your career in Finamaze, introduce this idea of the five Ps to our audience. Yes, sure. So we have developed this paradigm while working on developing our solution. And we wanted to see, to have a look at the a glimpse on the future of wealth and asset management. And what we see is that the future uh, will consist of five P's. The first P is platform. Second is personalization, productivity, precision, and last but not least, performance. So in a nutshell, the platform is the fact that on a unique platform, the end client, the end investor, is capable of investing in an array of investment solutions from gold-based portfolios to discretionary managed portfolios to trade in in public markets, but also in private markets. We are referring here to, of course, private equity, investing in VCs, and even investing in structured notes. The second P stands for personalization and how the AI can do a much more efficient job than human beings 
into translating whatever the investment committee the investment committee of the asset management or the wealth management firm uh, views are into personalized micro portfolios, micro portfolios for each single individual investor. The third P is, stands for productivity. And here, how the AI can streamline the job of the asset manager by, thanks to LLM uh, uh, models, uh, uh, scouting the markets for market sentiments, but also finding momentum and trends in the different uh, securities. And last but not least, determine in which regime we are on today. What are the different correlations between different asset classes? Stocks, immersion, international stocks, fixed income, commodities, and so on. The fourth P is for precision and how AI and algorithms in general can, are much more accurate in aggregating each micro-portfolio's uh, uh, trades, in aggregating them and send them to the markets, uh, getting the confirmation from the markets, uh, splitting them again among each micro-portfolio, confirming it to the clients, making a daily reconciliation, in brief, an automated full suite of middle and back office functions, which ultimately will lead to significant cost saving and therefore allowing the firms, asset management, wealth management, also banks, to offer a similar service than the ones they give to the high net worth individuals. But thanks to, this all, cost, thanks to all these cost savings, being able to lower the threshold to the common uh, investor. Last but not least, performance. We are strong believers that AI is a tool, not a goal, and that ultimately it is the asset manager, the wealth manager, that holds the ultimate accountability, and therefore it is his decision to decide when let the AI express itself in a large space, uh, similarly to what uh, an airline pilot would do by turning on his autopilot increased skies. But as soon as there are some turbulences, then the pilot or the ass manager in our case will want to take back control and uh, make human decisions. So it is this hybrid interaction between the AI and the humans that we see as being the basis of the future asset and wealth management. Well, thank you for that superb summary. I mean, you've found a way to categorize a lot of very, very complex ideas there and make them seem quite simple and organized. A lot of people are talking about AI across different issues, if different industries, but particularly finance and banking. But it's often unclear what the key use cases or baskets might be. So those five P's are incredibly useful in having a kind of map for the different directions this could go in, and particularly like the metaphor of the plane, because from defense to, to banking and cybersecurity, there is a, a very wide discussion on meaningful human control which is that kind of point at which 
the human being should take over from the AI? Or what degree of decision making should the AI be allowed to make? And what what is the appropriate level of human control? Um, and I think that's a question in a KYC AML compliance, as it is a question in many other industries. Um, I wanted to ask you a few questions on that. So the personalization makes sense, the platform right, makes sense, the productivity idea of bringing down costs makes sense. In many ways, though, once you think these technologies have matured and everyone is using the same systems for micro asset investing or for KYC and AML or for platforms, do you think that the advantages will actually plateau? So as with other technologies, once they reach a saturation point, the early movers will have the significant advantages, but those advantages will only last five to 10 years. And when everybody is using these systems, actually, you know, there won't be, the, the market won't change that much. Or do you think access to sophisticated banking for all of us is going to change because of AI and we're going to be able to invest in assets and have access to banking services that we couldn't in the past? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. I would like to, to, to reply to it at three levels. So the first level, uh, you are right by having all the, the players using similar technologies, there is a risk that they will all do the same. But in reality, when in the world of investing, we are, nobody can predict the future. And uh, no AI can determine what will be or when will the next earthquake take place or when the next geopolitical war happen and what will be the disruption on commodities or what will the, the Fed uh, decide in order to control uh, inflation, for example. So the future is uh, uncertain, although there could be some more probable scenarios than others. But you know what? I don't think that by a sense, the future of the stock market, so the next move of the Fed will be uh, uh, comprehensible by AI in any way. Mm. So there is always the humans who will make the difference. And what they will be doing, thanks to this technology, is doing a better job. Think of it like the introduction of Excel in the world of banking. All the banks use Excel or similar softwares. Doesn't mean that they are all equal, but for sure, they all are capable of doing a job at a fraction of a cost and a much faster way than when they were using uh, paper work to make calculations. So this is how we look mm -hmm. at it. So mm -hmm. it is nothing different than any technological progress, which basically streamline and, uh, the processes and make them uh, and allow them to be done in a much better way, in a, most, in a more cost-saving way, doesn't mean that everybody will have the same thing. So that will be my first answer. Very likely, by uh, having and adopting all these technologies, the main winner will be the end client, particularly those masses who today cannot have access 
to the sophistication that of the private banking, for example, because today the sophistication relies a lot on human experts. But tomorrow, or I would say even today for the most innovative banks and asset managers, uh, the fact that there is a large use of this AI, a large use of these algorithms uh, that allows cost saving, and by having this type of cost savings, we lower the threshold at which we can welcome customers into benefiting for this micro-personalization, what's generally the private making called discretionary managed portfolios. Now, today, in most of the private banks, to have a DMP, a discretionary managed portfolio, it starts at a couple of million dollars. Wow. With this technology, you can start doing it starting from a couple of thousand dollars. So just imagine the flow that those private banks, that those asset managers can have access to, which are today simply hidden or outside of the scope because they are not big enough. So this is what I believe will be the main disruption if this AI technology is generalized uh, in the investment world. Those are two very convincing answers, and thank you for that. I remember being in Hong Kong a long time ago and then Shenzhen in mainland China, and one of the things I found so interesting was that everyone from retail shoppers to coffee barristers was finding a way to try and invest in the Chinese stock market in a way that wasn't really the case in London or New York at that time. Although, of course, you know, a century ago in the States, almost everyone was investing in penny stocks or was trying to get involved in the stock market, a stock market. And I think what happened is that, you know, it became professionalized, it became very expensive, and that's kind of been lost. But if new technologies can bring that back and increase enfranchisement and mean that the, the the threshold for these kind of investments is easier, then that does sound like a very exciting future. I wanted to talk a little bit about your background. I know you've been at Credit Agricole, uh, Barclays Capital. You were vice president at Morgan Stanley. What led you from those very large, prestigious banks to finding yourself in Abu Dhabi at the ADGM and starting Finamaze. What was your journey and what was the solutions in banking and asset management that you were trying to solve? It's, uh, it's indeed by being in the heart of the, of the engine that I myself, but also all the people who are uh, working with us at Finamaze realize that there are some things that can be done better in a more efficient way, and most importantly, that can allow bringing this kind of expertise to the masses. And it's indeed by having a very deep understanding of how things work uh, in these banks that you are capable of uh, bringing in uh, a team of technologists, a team of developers, that develop the software upon the recommendations, upon the requirements of the business, of the asset managers within us. In other words, if you look at the world of fintech in finance and technology, I would say that perhaps 80% of the fintech globally are led by techies who wanted 
to basically uh, solve the pain points of a particular industry and here in our example of the industry of finance very few I would say a minority around 20% of those fintechs are led by somebody from the industry who understands it so well and understand its pain point and understand how they can be solved in a way that is just about at the right description level. You see, John, if you come up with the perfect solution that requires all the banks to do things from scratch, it will not work. What you want to build is a solution that is disrupting exactly the right amount that will be easily implementable in the bank's current systems that will be capable of not disrupting that much the processes that the human, the human beings within those firms are following, their habits sometimes, but at the same time, allow them by telling them, listen, you don't need to change much, but keep on doing what you are doing, but thanks to this technology or thanks to this software, you will be able to uh, do much more. And I think this is the key that ultimately will make a fintech successful or not, is the rate of adoption by the people from the industry. Now, to answer your question, I am somebody who worked more than 15 years in those big firms. And from there, I understood how we can allow them to do better. In other words, in reality, I have built something that would have been superbly happy uh, to use back on my days what I was, when I was working at the banks. And this is exactly what we have done. And for this, you need to have uh, not only the vision, but you need to have, and this is uh, an advice for, for all the founders that are listening to us, you need to have this these, uh, these urge to improve things once, twice, and keep on optimizing it so as when it is demoed to the banks, when it is demoed to the asset managers, it simply looks exactly how they would have done it by themselves if they had the time, the opportunity, or the willingness to go into the technological field. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting approach. And it's one we've had a couple of times, but I think you've articulated it clearly. We've had many, many episodes with the fintech industry and blockchain and crypto and of course, we've spoken to founders who, on the one hand, have said Bretton Woods, the entire post-1945 financial system, the entire payment rails, all existing financial technology has to change and be revolutionized. And of course, to date, that approach has failed in many areas, uh, even if there are, there are some, some areas where you can say, okay, there could be hope there. But we've also spoken to a lot of really interesting founders from Singapore to Japan to UAE to Europe who've said something very similar to you that you have to understand the culture of banking you have to understand some of the back end problems and some of the solutions and once you do that you can make iterative changes that really add up and do represent in many ways a small revolution in banking and finance um, and I think your argument very clearly 
presents the latter approach and it seems to be bearing dividends. I did want to ask you two things. So what is it like going into a room when you talk about AI specifically with some of these big institutions? Are they open to it or are they still a bit nervous? And the second question is, you've worked with Credit Agricole, you've worked with the, you know, I think Barclays is a London bank, I'm not entirely sure the ownership may have changed, but you've worked with Western banks. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you see the, the banking and asset management ecosystem in the Middle East, what the opportunities and challenges are as opposed to the West. So first question, openness to AI. Se second question, differences and similarities between banking in uh, the West and here in the Middle East. Yeah, so regarding AI, banks are ultimately accountable to what they offer to their clients. And what they don't want is to have a black box that could steer uh, their services to products into directions that they might not want or that will be simply not aligned with the, the requirements of the regulator or the suitability uh, that, uh, uh, and the fiduciary that they, need, that they own to their own clients. So the very first question is, what can the AI do? And our answer was always, and I would say natively, uh, built in order to allow always the human beings decide the space uh, in, within which the, the AI could express itself. In other words, what we say to the banks and what we have built is an AI that you can that can be used in within the boundaries that that you, human being, are defining. And as soon as you say this, and as soon as you show it to them, you show how it works, and you show that the, you can write in the marble where the AI can do and the AI cannot change it, then they feel very much relaxed because they understand at the end of the day that them as managers, as directors, need to rely on juniors, need to rely to intermediate level of uh, uh, colleagues who will take decisions but only within a framework that has been validated by the top management so what they want is to have the same decision hierarchy being built within the system and having the ai be if you want the expression as an intermediate uh, uh, management or a junior management let me say it differently, John. You and I and all of us who are here in this podcast, we use ChatGPT to sometimes uh, write emails. But there is no way you're going to copy, paste, and send the email without reading it. Mm. What you want to make sure mm. of is whatever the AI produces is within the limits that you as a human being is willing to allow it to do. And this is exactly how the banks behave when it comes to AI and investing. They want to understand within which framework they can, they can, they can, the AI can bring value. The that second sense. Yeah, that makes sense. The second part of your question is uh, related to the difference between the Western banks, uh, Barclays, Morgan Stanley, and uh, Calion for whom I have worked and what we see here in, in GCC, 
and it comes of uh, when it comes to wealth management what we can say is that the industry as such is tilted towards those who can manage the largest number the largest the largest volumes expertise ends up going in the the big funds or in the companies that manage several billions or sometimes even trillions of dollars uh, of funds and the banks here or the wealth management industry here when it comes to international markets will definitely rely on what's happening in uh, in in the west for obvious reasons but the the local banks have developed two things that are quite unique to this region first a very strong understanding of the regional markets of the regional stock exchange here definitely the best players and the banks understand very very well uh, these markets for obvious reason some and even better than those who than those as managers who are sitting in uh, london or in or in, in new york that's one and second how to present things to clients what do the clients uh, in the region want and to what extent and if you look at something which is as perhaps as obvious as the sharia compliant uh, investment this is uh, a, a type of investments that are really unique to to gcc but and to south south asia and here the real expertise is is local so uh, somehow depending on what uh, uh, category of investment you are contemplating you would have different expertise between the western and global banks on the one hand and the local and regional uh, companies one last thing is when it comes to the adoption of technology i just want to us to to remember the day when the banks came up with their banking app that's meant overnight no need to speak with the bank teller or no need to call your manager no need to sign any form if you wanted to make a wire transfer and what happened then is that uh, the, the the system became much more efficient the bank teller or manager who used to be able to manage only 100 200 clients thanks to the app he's managing 2000 why because he doesn't need to interact with each of his clients at uh, uh, several times per year we speak with our banker once a year maximum and therefore the banks realized that there is a large economy of scale lot of cost savings that they can be that can be done thanks to these apps which led them even sometimes to close a lot of branches imagine the same thing happening in the world of investment in the world of wealth management imagine the extraordinary productivity that the banks will be able to enjoy and at the benefit of those clients who were too small so far because of their smaller sizes and who today thanks to this gain in productivity will be able to be treated as if they were high net worth individuals that's a great point um and it's a very exciting prospect Mehdi, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, John. Sponsor information. 
The UIE Tech Podcast is distributed by Albaweba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Albaweba Business, syndication distribution on Albaweba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Albaweba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.